Oh, what's up, party people? This is Ian Lenhart coming at you live from Santa Monica, California, just letting you know that it is a damn good day to have a damn good day. And to start this episode, I want to go over a quick little exercise. So chances are that there's been some sort of business or opportunity that you've been pondering inside of your brain. It could be maybe starting a YouTube channel or getting into real estate or starting an e-commerce site. Whatever it is, I want you to go and find 10 companies that are currently doing exactly or somewhat similar to what you want to do. The next thing I want you to do is try to find five to 10 different differences that these companies are utilizing to make themselves stand out amongst each other. So what are their competitive advantages? Write those down. And afterwards, I think you're going to be very surprised to see that many of these businesses are very similar and they have a lot that they share in common. Once you see the aggregate of how so many other people are doing it, it becomes a lot less scary and becomes more feasible to take it into bite-sized chunks. And then you realize like, whoa, I can do this too. And that's an amazing feeling. And on today's episode, we're talking about my favorite subject recently, and that is sleep. And if you follow my Instagram at Len Jones, you'll know that I talk about this aura ring I bought all the time. I love it. I love tracking my sleep, my recovery. I love seeing what makes me feel better, times when I eat, how can I constantly just start feeling better. This whole kind of biohacking has really you know, taken note in my life. So to speak on this subject, I brought in one of the best experts I could find. And I want to introduce you to Tara Youngblood. Tara has an insane story of hitting the lowest of lows and the highest of highs. After the death of her son in 2008, Tara Youngblood suffered from insomnia and depression. Determined to find her way out, she spent over 10,000 hours studying the science of sleep, applying her analytical skills from her physics and engineering background, combining multiple disciplines, including alternative medicine and sleep diagnostics. Her research led to a solution in over a dozen patent filings. Tara is the co-founder of Chili Technology, a company providing restorative sleep products. She contributes to the strategic direction and daily operations of Chile Technology. Their Uller mattress pad was named product of the year for 2019 by Tech News World and the Chili Pad was named a best wellness product for powerful moms in business by Forbes. As a sleep geek and expert in sleep science, she works with the leading international researchers to further studies on sleep and explore ways to make sleep easier. She has connected over 70 research papers to the effects of temperature and sleep quality as the basis for her over a dozen patents and sleep studies. Her book, Reprogram Your Sleep, is a bestseller on Amazon. On this episode, we discuss the difference between deep sleep, light sleep, and REM sleep, how to avoid sleep crashes throughout your day, and things you can do every day to ensure you get the best sleep possible. As always, you can watch this podcast with Tara and I live on YouTube. And without further ado, episode 96 with Tara Youngblood. Let's jump into it. We're live, Tara Youngblood. She's in the house. How are you? It's such a pleasure to see you. I'm so grateful for your time. Yeah, I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. Can't wait to talk about sleep, but that's what I always like to talk about, I guess. It's so cool that you found this niche inside of sleep. It's something that is so vital to the health and brain of every you know, working entrepreneur and human being on this planet. And it's definitely been the center of my attention personally for the past, I'd say four weeks. 
Uh, I recently got this thing called an aura ring, which tracks your sleep. It's, it's, you know, I'm sure you're aware with these different sleep tracking products. And I try my best to, to get good sleep scores. You know, I, my highest sleep score I've ever gotten is like an 87, a B plus, you know, and, and I'm just trying so hard to optimize my sleep. So thank you for being here. You are the expert and you've, you've been through the grind. You've seen the ups, you've seen the downs, you understand it in and out. I'm actually using one of your products, which I'm obsessed with. Okay, we'll, we'll get into that in a bit, but I just want to say like, well done great job <laughs> this thing is fantastic uh, but i would love to kind of just give the audience a little a little bit of a background i mean you've been through you've kind of been through hell and back and it really it shaped you from to who you are today so i would love to, if you could just share a little bit about kind of what led you on this journey yeah so you know sleep has not ever been something i've been good at and i i am i'm so type a in uh so many ways and i've always wanted to be good at it, but never been good at it i hit um rock bottom around uh 2008 when we lost our youngest son and you know the grief of that and the depression put me into just about zero sleep i think i i got literally enough to stay alive and not much more than that so i was, I was a total zombie um, in my TED talk, I really tie it to, it's a state of, of really like being drunk. Um, the CDC, there's been a bunch of studies that tie sleepless, being uh, sleepless to the equivalent of so many drinks based on how long you go without sleep. But I, I was literally walking around drunk for probably about a year. Damn. And you're going through this experience. You're like, it's almost like you're going through an army boot camp, right? They're just like putting you through hell. <laughs> And you're not able to sleep. You have to keep functioning. You're getting six hours over two weeks, which just sounds like nightmare fuel. And obviously being a mama, you have more mama strength than most men in the world. So you're pushing through, you're doing what you got to do. At what point do you just break down and say something needs to change? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, we were still uh, running a business. Um, my husband and I are business partners. Um, you know, we were we were doing it, and I think that the irony for me, of course, uh, I sort of talk about the epiphany moment is uh, we were at a trade show. At that point, we were still selling mostly uh, brick and mortar. We weren't really into e-commerce too much yet, and you know, you're at the trade show and you're doing the walk and talking the talk, and uh, I'm like, this feels really hypocritical of me to, to talk about how awesome sleep is and I haven't figured this out for me. And, um, you know, sort of that gut check of like, that's not who I am. I'm not a person that, you know, I don't want to sell something I, I haven't figured out myself. And so that was, that was the moment of, all right, I really got to um, put on my big girl boots and figure out what's going on here. Um, spent unbelievable amount of hours just kind of went down all sorts of rabbit holes on sleep and um, different approaches everything from Chinese traditional medicine and Eastern medicine Ayurvedic um, to more traditional medicine neuroscience psychology all have different approaches to sleep um, and you figure at that point um, really new in sleep research so um, there's a Harvard timeline of sleep that's kind of fun if you want to geek out on it um, but there's the first article tying lack of sleep to health issues was in 1999. So you figure this whole sleep thing, although we've done it forever and it's always been a part of our lives, clearly we've been sleeping the whole time, but you know, tying it to, to these health outcomes is relatively new. And so the studies and the push and the science 
is just really starting to ramp up and, and the information coming out is, is phenomenal, but it's relatively new in this, you know, look at diet and fitness, um, back to Jane Fonda, you know, that's been around for a long time. We've been having those discussions. Sleep, we really haven't. It's so true. It's something that, I mean, out of countless human beings in this planet, I've pretty much never found somebody that just sits down and gets stoked about trying to sleep well. And it's so interesting to me because there's gurus on gurus on gurus in the health and wellness space. Everybody's going to be telling you what to put in your smoothie and, and get your exercise in and meditate and rest your mind. But sleep, definitely something that just isn't talked about nearly enough. It's something that is just overall not well known. It should be a mandatory class in high school and college, like along with how to do your laundry and, and do your dishes. You know, like it should be mandatory because it's so vital to human health. So you, you went through all these papers. What were some of the original findings you like, you, like when you first started digging in that just started to fascinate you and wanted you to kind of explore even deeper? So, you know, I think the first things for me is, although I was using temperature, I wanted to figure out how to use it right because I, I need to warm up to fall asleep. So in my head, I want to snuggle down into bed. And I was like, well, that should work. Why is this not working? Um, Clifford Sapir out of Harvard in 2003 first started talking about something called a sleep switch. He started looking at what neurons trigger sleep. And, all, and when you look at that research, a lot of it's temperature-based. So I'm like, well, why, why is this in this, isn't this working for me? What, what do I need to do in order to build up on that? I always say there's 7.8 billion of us. It makes sense that we're not all going to sleep exactly the same way. We don't diet the same way. We don't exercise the same way. We don't think the same way. It makes sense that there would be multiple ways to sleep. So also went down a rabbit hole of when should I be sleeping? And that really led to chronotypes and understanding uh, the genetics that drive us to sleep and change when we sleep and how we do that. Um, so when I started to combine the sleep switch of temperature with chronotype and understanding how, when, how and when your body wants to fall asleep and, and how to time that properly, those, those two were pretty big pivot points in, in sort of building what I like to call my sleep recipe. Okay, let's get into this sleep recipe. I'm so interested. Yeah, so it's, you know, it does, uh, it probably dates me, but my, my grandmother taught me how to bake bread. So I'm always about recipes. Um, and when you think about sleep, it's really easy to, um, as you're tired and you go to climb into bed and you think about where I was, you know, basically in a drunken state. In a drunken state, you're not at your cognitive best to try to figure out how to do this sleep thing. You basically crawl into bed and, and, and do your best at that point. So part of it was being deliberate. Um, if you're going to go and bake something, you, you know what ingredients go in ahead of time and you sort of, you can lay it out and have it planned so that you're not trying to go around the room. Ideally, everything's the same temperature and you, you're thoughtful about it. So as I started to think about what went into bedtime, again, going back to chronotype, what goes into bedtime doesn't always start at bedtime. It really starts with when you wake up because your body wants to understand its drive towards sleep. It's constantly looking for that state of balance of when you go to sleep. So the moment you wake up, you can actually flip off your sleep switch and trigger the start of your day. And the sooner you turn off the switch, which it makes sense if you were to leave the sleep on for the first half of your day, 
then your body's looking to still be up for 16 hours past that. Like it's trying to find that balance. And so as important as it is to flip on the sleep switch to fall asleep, it's actually really important to turn it off, to get sunshine, to get outside, to get those endorphins flowing. And as you move throughout your day, there's also other trigger points. We used to have our biggest meal the middle of the day and then have lighter meals in the evening. And you figure the other thing we do now is our biggest meal is dinner time because it's the end of the workday. So, so many things about sleep are triggered about those things during the day. And when we became an industrialized society, that's when we went to eight hours. Before that, we never slept for eight hours straight for the most part. And we didn't uh, have these big meals at the end of the day. Everything about those eight hours actually is a reflection of the eight hours in which we work and that timing for factories and that commercialization of our lives is so ingrained in our society, but that's not how we evolve to sleep or eat or, or interact with our days at all. Interesting. So what you're saying is based on our evolution and, and based on how humans morphed into what we are today, we were in this habit of having, you know, the, the, the big old sub for lunch, right? But then something very soft mm -hmm. and gentle around five o'clock for dinner. And, and the reason is behind yeah, digestion. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we take a nap oftentimes. So even you can look at literary references as late as Charles Dickens. Um, there's other historical evidence as well, all the way up to that sort of uh, peak industrial uh, push. We were taking dual sleeps. So we've kind of, it, you still see it in Spain and some cultures where there's sort of that mid, uh, e early evening nap. A lot of people will have a light meal, take a nap, and then I'll have a, a sort of another meal and some social time between nine and 10 or even 10 and 11, and then go to sleep again. Um, that was very typical for, certainly for European um, descent, that you would have sort of those two different sleeps, first sleep and second sleep. And oftentimes they would, they'd have whole social events that would happen at that time. They'd go to other people's houses in the evening, um, but it, we weren't sleeping eight hours, have to do this. I love that. It's so interesting. I don't know why, but Lord of the Rings just popped into my head. Frodo Baggins saying, oh, we have first breakfast, second breakfast, and then we have our third <laughs> breakfast. No, it's interesting. So that's like a, that, we used to do that on, a, on the reg. So naps are actually very healthy for us. There was a, a good push to that eight hours of that's when you were home and, and asleep for that time, because um, then you were more productive. Uh, though we're finding out that you're maybe not as productive, but you're physically there when you're supposed to be if you have that eight-hour segment. Okay, let's break this down. So there's a lot of different elements. Let's start with the first one. You said that it's important to get outside and get some sunshine, and that is actually correlated to how well you will sleep. Can you explain? Yeah, so what, you know, it goes back to um, truly like a light switch. Your neurons are triggered by temperature or light. It depends on your genetic profile. Some people are a little more triggered on temperature. Other people will be more sensitive to light. So those are both, both triggers and, and some people it's even. But you want to flip off that switch. And what happens when you flip off the switch is you actually get a little burst of cortisol. So you're actually starting your day and, and we, we attribute that to, to negativity with stress and things like that. But in the morning, those endorphins, that cortisol is, is actually what um, 
pushes us into our day. So for a lot of people, um, that first part of your day is actually your peak um, cognitive load time. You're, you make the best decisions, you're gonna be able to do your deep work, whatever you wanna do, and that's getting that push right there. So your body actually is, is a perfect clock that way in the sense that it has a regular rhythm, you're gonna have your peak blood pressure, all of those diff different elements in your body are all attracted or entrained to that clock. And so when you go throughout your day, uh, being able to time that properly really makes a huge difference on, on how you go. So around four o'clock, again, that four o'clock window, um, late afternoon is often your most creative, certainly for morning types and sort of that medium. Night owls are gonna flip that a little bit. They'll be more creative in the morning and higher cognitive load in the afternoon. Um, again, but you can try and train all of that to that clock. Got and it. when you get to, yeah, so then when you get to bedtime, if you've done everything at the right time throughout the day, and unfortunately not drinking alcohol before you go to bed, and mm -hmm. you know being smart about it, when you get to bed, uh, if you've balanced your stress levels throughout the day, and you time your bedtime correctly, and you can trigger it with temperature, this becomes sort of that magical recipe part where it's easy to fall asleep. It's interesting because it, you mentioned a lot of things, stress, right? Like most people have stress throughout the day, you know, whether it's your work day, whether it's your social life, whether it's your love life, whatever's or health, right? All these things can stress your body out and we need to find a way to de-stress and sleep de-stresses us more than anything. I mean, I do these podcasts 8 a.m. Pacific time. So like I got to be up and alert, but like if I have a terrible sleep, like right now, like I'm actually like on a really bad sleep. I got like 74 sleep score and I can feel it. Like you can almost see it in my eyes. I got the bags coming on, like, you know, and I went to bed at 10 o'clock, but my body woke up at like five this morning and just wouldn't Ooh. go back to sleep. And that happens to me pretty often. And then my brain just wakes up at like five and I'm just like, ooh, ooh squirrel, squirrel. Uh, do you have any tips on how to kind of keep your sleep going and not have those constant wake-ups? Yes. Okay. So um, since you're using the Uller, we are going to uh, ask you, uh, put you on the spot, I guess, of what is the temperature that you're setting it at? And do you set it at one temperature for the whole night or do you uh, change that schedule throughout the night? Right now, I'm set at the lowest schedule, so like 55, and then I have it go up to 60 in the morning. That's okay. it. Okay. And so around 5 o'clock, um, you might be very likely waking up, especially if you're an early riser. I would warm it up a little bit warmer than that, so you actually might be waking up because you're too cold now. Did you wake up at that same time before the Uller? I had a much harder time falling asleep before the Uller. Okay. Yeah. So now, now it's, um, so we kind of talked about the recipe for bedtime. Um, the next chunk of sleep that you do is deep sleep. Now you do go through cycles. So if you're looking at your aura ring, you're seeing that flow of the cycles, but it's almost like a, a probability of deep sleep happens in that first half of the night because deep sleep really does like it colder. It is definitely influenced heavily on temperature and your core body is trying to drop by two degrees. So if you imagine your heart and lungs, not your hand temperature, your mattress has foam in it, um, depending on the covers you put on top of it, that's where by being cooler, you can fall asleep faster and stay faster because your body's like, oh, I'm supposed to be going down into this valley of temperature and it makes sense. However, right around five, based on when you go to sleep, your body core temperature is trying to come back up. And so if you actually keep it too cool, then your body's gonna wake up because you're like, okay, now I'm too cold. 
and I need to warm up. So if you actually warm yourself awake, that's also can help uh, flip that switch back off. And that's where you can get a burst of cortisol just by temperature. Um, it's always good to go outside first thing in the morning too, but that's absolutely a hack where that second half of the night when the temperature is coming up to go more about room temperature. Um, I actually like to warm up enough that uh, it's more in the eighties for me. I like to, I like, I like warm on either side of my sandwich for better or worse. Wow. That's great. Yeah. I'm definitely going to give that a shot because I love air conditioning life, but I can't have an air conditioner because I have these vertical windows in our, in our apartment in Santa Monica. So, and I, it's just the, the way it's set up, it's just not going to happen. So the Uller definitely like changed my life. You know, I was very stoked yeah. about it and I'm very, very grateful for it. Now let's talk about the three stages because when I look at my app, I tend to do very well on deep sleep and light sleep. I stay asleep for those first, you know, five, six hours and I'm like crushing it. And then my REM sleeps just constantly so bad. Like I'm getting like 40 minutes of REM and like when I'm getting like an hour and a half, I feel like a, an entire different person. It seems like the REM sleep is kind of like the turnkey to deciding if I'm going to have a crush it day. Yeah. So that's where it is all about balance. And you really want to try to in an eight hour segment, you want to aim for about two hours of each to have those balance, they should stay even, relatively even. Um, that's sort of that great sleep feeling when it when it does that. So the things that go into REM sleep, you know, just like I said, the deep sleep is cooling, but if you drink alcohol to fall asleep, alcohol will, it heats up your metabolism, it'll prevent you from dropping those two degrees. So it's still stuff that happens during the day can affect those sleep zones at night. And for REM sleep, um, it's, you know, really all about that sort of mental state. Stress has a big influence on that REM sleep wake up. Um, being too cold can also affect it. Obviously, if you're really hot, you'll have uh, weird wonky sleep patterns as well. But you know, that's where managing your stress, stress throughout the day is really important. I can't speak anymore. <laughs> um, and I, you know, when I look at it, actually, um, the book Belong, I'm trying to remember the name of the author, but it, um, she does a great job of breaking this down. But when you look at your stress and the way I talk about with my boys is, you know, when, when you're playing a video game, you have all these life uh, sort of uh, meters of things and you have a stress meter and you have that balancing and you want to keep them in balance. You don't want to end up with your stress all the way up here at the end of the day and then try to only count on sleep to flush it through. You want to try to go into sleep as close to balanced as possible. And there's really some really simple things actually to, to balance that. Um, the first thing is to think about that there's cortisol, adrenaline, these, these uh, on this meter that are gonna be your stress ones, but you have counteractive hormones that you can do throughout the day that'll balance that. And that going out first thing in the morning, getting those endorphins, being outside, um, anytime you can do that 20 minutes at a time that helps lower that stress meter. Um, oxytocin is, is all about connection. So when you connect with someone, when you give a hug and it is hard in coronavirus, uh, times to get five hugs, but that's about, you know, hugging your quarantine, maybe you have a dog or a cat, but it connecting with somebody or something, um, is really huge for oxytocin levels. Um, dopamine is all about getting stuff done. Um, so even in this time, uh, you know, make a list. It doesn't have to be a complicated list if you're at home. 
It could be as simple as I made my bed and I had lunch on time and I, I did um, something for myself. You know, it's, it's a really simple list, but when you, when you check that off, you actually get a rush of dopamine and which again, lowers that stress meter, increases that healthy meter so we stay balanced. Um, serotonin is another one and it would be interesting for you to try if the temperature isn't enough for your REM sleep is to try because the serotonin of a weighted blanket, that deep pressure um, is a slow release that happens the, throughout the whole time you're using a weighted blanket. So that's where even if you don't fall asleep with it, you can pull it onto yourself when you wake up and it'll help soothe you back to sleep. Um, just like, a, like a, you would soothe the baby, it's really relatively simple. Um, but those are, those are ways to do that. And I feel like the, the super awesome, very easy way is um, BJ Fogg out of Stanford has a great book out. It came out in January, I think, um, called Tiny Habits. He has a great way of taking really tiny things. Um, breathing is one of those really tiny things that uh, we forget. We breathe all the time, and so we kind of take it for granted. Yes, right there. Um, and we all use the restroom about seven times a day, on average, give or take. And every time you go to the restroom, think about breathing for a minute. And so studies have shown if you, you wanna be in shorter than you, you go out, so even if it's three seconds in and six seconds out, whatever rhythm feels good for you, take one extra minute in the restroom. So you don't have to be somewhere fancy, you don't have to do anything huge, just close the door for one extra minute and breathe. And even if you, you achieve one time a day, in that one minute of breathing, it's been shown you totally can flush out all the cortisol in your bloodstream. You can go from super stressed to zero just by breathing. So you're saying so when not, you go to the bathroom, just take a minute after you do your duty and just sit there and just yep. breathe? Just breathe. Just, just take one extra minute. Um, and it because you know that's the beauty of his behavioral uh, methodology, it's because that's something you have to do anyway. You're attaching a healthy habit to something that you're driven to do, whether you like it or not, uh, <laughs> about seven times a day. And so if you can just do it once a day, it'll help. But obviously, if you can get in the habit of like, okay, I do it every single time, that's a huge, huge impact on where you end up for that bedtime. Interesting. Yeah, I, I've been doing much better with the meditation deal. I've been doing like the theta wave meditations where you just lay down. I put it on my AirPods. It's like a 30 minute meditation. And it's just like deep breaths in, out. And eventually your body gets all tingly. And then like, you know, when you breathe out and you hold it for like a minute or two, and then you just feel like this just energy rush. It's pretty much like unbelievable euphoria. It's like getting high on your own supply. And I've only just recently been able to get more efficient at it because it's one of those things that's like, you know, we have time. All of us have time. We just don't make time because we're just aimlessly looking at our phones and doing things that are unproductive. So like if I could actually master my day to make this sleep thing work, it would be so amazing. Cause it's like so many people right now are just living at 70%. Like me, I feel like I'm like always at like 65%. Like I'm pretty much relatively always stoked, but that's like me at 65, 70%. Like I've never, and until like, since I was back in like freshman year of college, I feel like I haven't gotten to a hundred percent. And so I really- yeah, no, I I have never, in the sleep of the last few years, because um, Todd and I met the first day of college, so he's seen my sleep for a very long time. 
and you know the last few years is is pretty phenomenal what you know what you can do when you have good sleep and especially as we age so deep sleep is especially is something that as you age it gets harder and harder to get um, by the time you're 80 they're showing it could be seven minutes or less so when you look at that sleep balance it's mostly light sleep a lot of interruptions it's it's not good consistent sleep and that i think is part of they're now tying that lack of sleep to alzheimer's cognitive loss autoimmune diabetes you know any of those issues immunity is a huge one and so when we talk about where we are today and what is the biggest value in our society now, we're, we're, I think the coronavirus, the big reflection will be health may be the biggest thing we have that is truly ours. And if we don't own that, if we don't put time into it, if we don't invest in those extra breathing minutes, it's, you know, it's, it's going to, it does catch up to us. It is, it is part of that metric. And so it's really, really important to, to think about your, the value of what health looks like for you. Awesome. Okay. So let's just kind of review some of the things you just mentioned. Number one, you said, uh, when you wake up, the second you wake up, get up and walk for 20 minutes outside. It could be a foggy day. It could be a sunny day. Just get up and walk, move your body, uh, get, get the juices flowing, get the neurons firing. Uh, you also mentioned hugging. So utilizing some sort of level of of hugging an animal. So like, you know, if you don't have a, of, of a lovely dream partner chilling next to you, getting all sweaty with you, you can choose the, the cat or the dog or just something that you can yeah, love. I, I tell my boys and the hard part is teenage boys, unless they have a girlfriend, but if, if you know, five hugs a day, it seems like, Oh mom, it doesn't matter. It's like, yeah, even just five hugs a day uh, makes a big difference. So interesting. Hug, hugging for health, hugging for health. The next thing is, getting some dopamine in your day so or throughout the day so like wake up make that checklist cross out that checklist feel like you're productive because every time you cross out that checklist it lowers stress and it's also scientifically proven that when you have things out on a checklist you're less stressed because it's all in front of you and it's more digestible and it's not like you're like oh what did i do like where, where are the keys you know it's just like the organized lifestyle is less stressful obviously uh then the next thing you mentioned is the weighted blanket so if you don't have the hugger and you don't have the cat and you don't have the dog or whatever it is, get the weighted blanket. Now, my question there is, what's your thoughts on the sheet debate? Now, there's a lot of people that think that top sheet is just total hocus pocus imposed upon us to, to make us buy more blankets. What are your thoughts? Uh, you know, I, part of it is uh, the proper way to make a bed that sort of the way I was brought up, absolutely need to have it. The practical part when you have four boys is they don't use that sheet at all. And so unless you put a duvet cover on that comforter, you don't get to wash that or you have to wash the whole thing. And they're big and smelly enough that I have to. So I, they just have a duvet cover. That seems to be the, the, the way to sort of uh, get by that. So bottom sheet and duvet cover, I think is the best way to go duvet what is a duvet cover all right so you have your comforter and it's basically like a pillowcase that buttons up over the top of your comforter and then you don't need a sheet at all for the top you just use that and so then if you want to wash it you can you don't have to wash your whole comforter wow okay so it's a it's a pillowcase for your for your giant comforter yes okay that makes a lot of sense because then if, if your your boys pee the bed it's not like the end of the comforter 
Hopefully, I mean, they're 21 to 11 now, so there's not too much peeing the bed, but that way that does help that. Yes. If, if the 21 year old just got to college, you never know, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, they're all home at the moment. That's part of the um, perk of being quarantined, but um, right. yes. <laughs> it's amazing that you have such a, like a lovely family and that, you know, family is so important to you. Uh, I just got to say like, you know, the, our mutual connections, like Jen and, and some other people just said, you know, every time they speak with you, it's one of the most like heartwarming and genuine experiences. Like you just naturally are like a really caring human. And that's Aww. probably the, like the best attribute that I think a human can have at the end of the day. So I just want to say I think like, so too. you have a big heart and it's, it shows. It's, you know what though? I think it does. It goes back to, um, resilience is an interesting word and we talk about it a lot it's sort of it gets underserved when you talk about things in short daytime stuff but when you look at you know the course of coronavirus you look at the course of a lifetime and you read phenomenal stories of, of people that had resilience throughout things like holocaust or or other things um, i use my grandmother as an inspiration a lot she was in south africa um, during World War II, did, only spoke German, and South Africa was at war with um, Germany, clearly, at that time. So, you know, she, she had all sorts of things, and, and raising a small boy in, in the wilds of South Africa really does sound like it really was, like uh, there's snakes and all those kind of things going on, and yet at the end of the day, the things that get us through, the things that give us resilience are those human connections. It is, it is not just about survival of the fittest we are herd animals and if we don't care and we don't connect if we don't make that part of who we are then we're really missing out on that greater sense of resilience of what what gets us through is very rarely one of us fighting against everyone else it's it's usually togetherness as a we are herd animals yeah, it's so interesting because I think I read somewhere that the U.S. And, and maybe another country is like the only country in the world that has a separate room for their children when they when they get born. Like most children sleep with their parents in the same bed for like, it's pretty normal. Yes, we, we definitely did that. <laughs> Todd was not sure that was the right way at first. He's like, will he, will he ever sleep on his own? Um, but yes, we still uh, on Mother's Day just a couple days ago. Um, and they're big boys, I have to say, uh, all four of them came in and that's like my favorite, still my favorite thing in the world is like, that's what I want for Mother's Day every year is four boys cuddling. We all sort of get hot and sweaty very fast, but <laughs> we all cuddle in the bed for a while. Yeah, it's interesting. And then I also agree with the, the community. I, I think that like the longhouse lifestyle is like the way to go. Um, obviously, you know, everyone wants their own space, but I find that community makes stress like life so much easier. I mean, just imagine this utopia, right? You're living in a, a fourplex with four other fa like families or four other friends. And then every single day, one of you takes on dinner duty and makes dinner. Like, just imagine that, like you wouldn't have to just make dinner. It would just be made for you. And then you would take on that duty another time. And like everybody working together on certain elements, like that would just be such an easier life than having to worry about the 12 different things a human has to do throughout the day. Now, not all of us are, are that, you know, a typical American family is going to be, you know, in a perfect world, it'd be a, like a mom, a dad and the children and they're doing everything. But I do think that in my perfect society, I would live in a community 
that we'd all work together. You know what I mean? Well, and everyone gets to have their zone of genius then because what falls out is there's always those people that do. They, they Maybe they don't want to cook every single meal, but that's something that lights them up and uh, someone else is going to want to do something else. And I, there is, I think, we're going to get back to, you know, environmentally wise, you know, I'm a huge, you know, growing up on a farm, you get a different sense on that relationship with the planet. And I, I do feel like we have to, we have to get back to having a relationship with the planet and a better relationship with each other. Um, this, this life of, again, you know, the waste that's involved when you buy for one person versus, you know, as you, you package and do everything for a group of people, it's definitely just more efficient to be, to be that herd. Totally. Let's herd up. So question about food. So how, what do you recommend is the perfect way in terms of, because obviously it's going to be different for everybody. Some people work really well on intermittent fasting. Some people work better eating right in the morning. You know, your body, you figure it out. But what have you found in all the studies and you would recommend in terms of meals? Is it a, is it a big meal in the morning, big meal in the evening, and then and a small meal for dinner? What would you recommend? You know, a, a lot of that really does depend on when you are most hungry. So, you know, a lot of the intermittent fasting will even sort of coach you through when is, when are you most hungry? Um, but for most people, if you can have your biggest meal of the day at lunchtime, uh, some people aren't hungry in the morning and that's fine. Uh, and if you want to have your evening, try to, try to keep your heavier uh, meats and things like that into your daytime instead of at night and it's hard because everything in our society wants to put that you know bigger bigger meal at the end of the day um, but it really is so much healthier for you to do it in the middle of the day interesting so what's your take on bread can i can i wolf bread does bread do carbs slow you down do they affect your sleep it is so hard again i started with like saying my grandmother taught me how to bake bread and you know, dairy farm, fresh cream, fresh butter on bread, you know, everything I grew up with bread. Um, it is not generally good for me. And I really try to avoid gluten is so much better. Um, but I feel like everything's in moderation. And uh, you have to get to similar to everything you need that what that recipe is for you. Um, bread is there's so much variety and everything from your doughy white, nasty, what my mom would call it, nasty bread, um, but to the full grain that's like super hearty and, and, and healthier. Uh, there's such a gamut of a bread answer, but in general, I don't find, even for our boys, we really try to be as low on carbs as possible. We'll double vegetable at dinner is usually what we call it, double vegetable dinner. And then they still have to have a protein because they're, I don't know, they can't not eat meat. I found that when I eat a meal between five to six and I just don't eat the rest of the day, my, uh, my deep sleep for sure is way more effective. So your resting heart rate goes down. And then I guess based on it going down, it helps with your recovery index. I don't know. That's what my aura keeps telling me. Yeah. So resting heart rate is tied to that, that deep sleep pretty heavily. And so the same things that mess up deep sleep will, will also change that resting heart rate. So that's where alcohol or a heavy meal uh, later in the evening are all going to bump when that resting heart rate is. Um, for a lot of people, that's when you'll get your lowest resting heart rate is earlier in the morning. It's usually because of some of those factors. 
um, but the, the more deep sleep, the better that deep sleep is, the deeper it is, the more you can shift that resting heart rate sort of more middle of the night that you really want to try to be as close to that lowest point when your core body temperature is the lowest. And we, it's not easy to measure that in the middle of the night. So that's a hard metric to put together, but that's, that's where you want it more in the middle of the night. Amazing. Yeah. And if for anybody that wants to go deeper into the subject, Tara did an amazing Ted talk, which is just so professional. I mean, so well done, just absolute Grammy performance. I mean, you crushed it. Uh, it really uh-huh. covers everything we're talking about just in a much more coherent and uniform fashion. Um, so I do highly recommend you guys check that out. And I do want to touch base just a little bit. I know, you know, you're more passionate about teaching people to sleep and that's where your heart's at. Like you want to help people. You don't like to talk about business. That's just not your deal. Like you're not like sally. Like that's just, which is another reason why I just, something I just love about you and your persona, but you've built an amazing company and, and Chili Technologies and it's, it's a sweet brand. You know, I'm using one of your products. It's awesome. I mean, literally like I was freaking out because my body's so hot. So I'm, I got all these fans up on my, up on the Jones and all of a sudden like this angel of Tara comes out of nowhere and I got this blanket that goes on my bed under my, my, my fitted sheet and it regulates your temperature. It blows my mind that something like that exists. I mean, it makes sense that that I know. Is- it is so ridiculously simple. Everyone's like, oh, what's a cool invention. You're like, yeah, except for it's like, you know, it's not like a, you know, rocket ship. This is like, it is a mattress pad. It is a, a radiator for your human engine. Uh, it just regulates your temperature and keeps you cool. It's like that simple. That simple, but that little shift can make such a big difference. And it's another reason why the mattress industry and the bed industry, I mean, it's a very big unregulated industry, right? So like- It's a mess. Some of the markups are just straight robbery on like what some of these people will charge for mattresses. Yeah. And, you know, that's honestly why we left brick and mortar and selling through mattresses, uh, through mattress stores is- they generally size you up. It's a used car salesman kind of thing. It's, you know, they sit there and wait for that one person to come in and then they basically will sell you a brown bag of mattress that is based on your price point, not as much based on what's really the right thing for you. I have conversations with people all the time like, well, they said the Tempur-Pedic was the best one. I wanted to buy the best one. You're like, well, if you're hot, that's not the best one. If you're hot, you don't want memory foam, but if you need pressure, then that is a great one. But it's, you know, it's, it, it, it's not having those honest conversations with the person that is buying that for sleep. They're having a conversation. It's like selling a couch. Like, here's what do you, what do you recommend for, for like beds? Like out of all the brands, is there one that's kind of your go-to? So I probably, um, get, I I always try not to get myself in trouble because we're very mattress agnostic. You know, you can put this on anything. Um, I do love what purple and Lisa, and there's, you know, a bunch of those not quite as big brands are big, but they're not like the, the super big guys, um, that are, they really are focused on that better sleep, uh, more so than, than others. So I, you know, I'd look at the brands, look at, what they're doing you know it's easy to buy just a cheap one off of amazon and if that's what you need to do then then do it but you know this is something that should last for eight eight years kind of thing and really make sure you're going to spend a third of your time for that eight years on that that surface so make sure you really love it and and do your homework on on how they treat people how they what their science is all those sort of things 
you know, invest in it just like you would a car. You're going to spend more time with it than your car probably. I love that. Well, Tara, I could talk to you forever about this subject and I'm so grateful we got connected through this amazing platform and just to be able to share with our audience because I'm sure this is going to be just life-changing for a lot of people. If we can change some habits every single day and just continue to improve ourselves, it'll compound over long periods of time and we'll just get become better. So I would love for you to share, you know, how can people continue following your journey and how can people check out Chili Technologies and anything else? Yeah. So if you're curious about the product, um, our website, chilitechnology.com, um, will walk you through pretty much whatever you need to know, but I am on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those sort of social media places as the sleep geek. So you can reach out and ask me questions there. Um, we are in the middle of doing a, a one for one campaign where if you buy one, we uh, give one to a healthcare worker or first responder. Um, so you'll see there's a lot of that going on on my Instagram feed right now, but I, I do answer questions there as well. That's so cool. You guys do that program. That's just, you don't have to do that, but you choose to do that. And that makes you amazing. So thank uh, you. Thank you for your heart. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the sleep. I'm going to have to get me a weighted blanket or a cat. One of those two things. Yeah, we do have a weighted blanket. I'll say it's a little bit of a bias because it cools and heats. And if you want a temperature sandwich, that is what I use right now. And it's the bomb. Wow. All right. I'm going to look it up. I pre <laughs> Dang. I'm about to get chillied out. Uh, all, of all right. I appreciate you till next time. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Len Jones Party of Two. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review and subscribe to stay up to date on our new episodes. And remember, hope is not a strategy. Keep making moves. Till next time. Peace.